Hey there and welcome. I'm so glad you're joining me for the second episode in my series that's called Soul, Body, and Spirit. And I'm glad you're joining in. Last week I introduced the series and I introduced you to a word called tripartite. Tripartite being. That is the view that we have a uh, God who is a tripartite being. He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And He created us in His own image, and that means He gave us a tripartite being also. And it's composed of the body, the soul, and the spirit. <clears throat> so we learned last week how we struggle if the body or the soul tries to take the lead of our spirit because our spirit is supposed to be connected to God's Holy Spirit, and that's what's supposed to lead us. It's supposed to lead our body in the choices we make. It's supposed to lead our soul in the uh, course, in the path that we follow. So as Christians, that is what we are striving to do. Let our spirit get connected to God. Well, today and for the next two weeks, I'm going to devote a lesson to each part of our being. And today we're going to focus on the body. And so we're going to look at a couple of aspects of the body. First, we'll, we'll look at the physical structure. That is the house. And then we're going to look at the five senses that God gave us. And that's how we transmit information to the brain. That's part of the physical structure. So you see how those are all connected. All of us have a mixed relationship with our body. Do you agree? We enjoy our body and we struggle with our bodies, as well as with the bodies of our family members, our friends, our neighbors, and everybody around us. Sometimes we think our bodies are our enemies. They do grow old and tired, don't they? They get ache, aches and pains, and we experience all kinds of temptations through our body, and that catches us off guard, and it often leads us down paths that we don't want to follow. So I have a question. What does it mean when Scripture says we are fearfully and wonderfully made? That is what we read in Psalm 139, verse 14. The context of that verse is the incredible nature of our physical bodies. The human body is unique. It is the most complex organism in the world. And that complexity and that uniqueness speaks volumes for the mind of our Creator. Every aspect of our body, down to the microscopic cell, reveals that it is fearfully and wonderfully made. Engineers understand how to design a strong but lightweight beam. And so they put the strong material toward the outside edges of a cross-section, and they fill the inside with lighter, weaker material. This is done because the greatest source of stress occurs on the surface of a structure when handling common bending or stress from any kind of tension. So engineers know how to build a beam to support that stress. Well, a cross-section of the human bone reveals it's designed in the same way. The strong material is on the outside. That is the bone that we feel when we touch our arm. But the inside is this factory of blood cells of various kinds. 
See, God was the first engineer, the first biologist, and the greatest. The human brain is also an amazing organ, fearfully and wonderfully made. It has the ability to learn, to reason, and to uh, give us the ability to have automatic fu functions of, of the body. It's, so it gives us the ability to have this heart rate <clears throat> and to have blood pressure and to breathe and to maintain balance when we walk and run and stand, all while concentrating on something else. That is pretty fearful and wonderful, isn't it? Consider the single fertilized cell of a mother of a newly conceived human life. From that one cell that is within the womb of the mother, develop all the different kinds of tissues and organs and symptoms, and they all have to work together at just the right time. That's pretty amazing. Here's an example. There is a hole in the septum between the two ventricles in the heart of a newborn infant, and it closes up at just the right time to allow the oxygenation of the blood from the lungs not in the womb. That is pretty wonderful, isn't it? And the body's immune system, that is a whole beautiful system also. It's made to fight off our enemies and restore itself. See, God gave us this ability to help our body to heal. And he gave it this ability from the smallest repair, like even down to repairing bad portions of our DNA to the largest repair, and that's mending bones after they're broken and recovering from major accidents. Now, there are all kinds of diseases that will eventually overcome the body as we age because of man's fall into sin and the resulting curse. But what we don't know is how many times our immune system has saved us from death that probably would have occurred without it. Well, how can we now use this fearfully and wonderfully God-engineered body for His glory and our good. That's where our choices come into play. Let's look at caring for our bodies. Remember when Adam and Eve were living in the garden, they had the perfect exercise habits, didn't they? They walked and they gardened. Their bodies were in movement. They had a nutrition plan. They ate from God's creation. And they had the perfect, beautiful plan for rest. They must have slept really well after a hard day of exercising and walking and eating well. But what happened? We somewhere along the line messed up the plan. We've really complicated what God designed as a simple plan, haven't we? Well, God wants us to continue, though, to develop healthy habits so that we can remain healthy. And he wants us to do those three things that Adam and Eve did in the garden. He wants us to move. He wants us to rest, and he wants us to eat well. I think it's always best to start where we are and work toward healthy moving, healthy resting, and healthy eating one step at a time. So let's look at some body habits and develop a plan for caring for our bodies. So we're going to take each of those things that they did. They ate well, they slept, and they exercised well. So let's 
do this by looking at eating. And I want to look at that physical habit of eating in our bodies to help us to have a good healthy body and connect it to the other aspect of the body and that is the five senses. Now here is a fact, the digestion process starts before you eat. It begins when you smell something irresistible or when you see your favorite food. And this process begins at that point, but it takes about 29, 25, 26, something like that, hours or so to fully digest what we eat. But it starts with those senses. Well, I want to look at just five simple healthy tips. You know, we have all been inundated with how to lose weight and how to eat healthy, but I just want to give us five little healthy tips for us to remember. The first one is stock your fridge. Fill up the refrigerator. That means things that might spoil, things that have an expiration date. Fresh foods like like fruits and vegetables and and wonderful salads and salsas and protein-rich food and foods with healthy fats. Secondly, let's stay hydrated. Drink a generous amount of water. And there are different methods out there for drinking in different equations, but the one I like best is drink roughly half your weight in ounces. And then number three, embrace the rainbow. Foods that are naturally different colors are going to provide us with lots of vitamins and minerals and those phytonutrients that are going to support our overall health. And number four, embrace healthy fats. That means avocados, fatty fish, nuts and seeds, and minimally processed plant oils like avocado oils and olive oils. Those are my two favorite. Those are the ones that I use for my cooking and for my salad dressings. And they uh, investigate those because they have a, uh, they're wonderful in cooking your fish and your chicken. So check out those. And number five, moderate UPFs. Now, <laughs> I didn't say UFOs, UPFs. And that what, what that means is ultra processed foods. Oh, we might even call that junk food, but it has a clearer definition. Uh, eating UPFs once in a while can be a part of a healthy lifestyle when we're mindful of what we're eating overall. The key is to ensure that most of the foods that we eat in our diet are whole foods and are minimally processed as these habits are linked to lower risk of chronic disease. Those are the things grandparents ate. Those are the things that Adam and Eve ate. So start thinking now about ways to improve your eating habits. How might you have a healthier diet? Now, the second thing Adam and Eve did is they moved around in the garden. Uh, how many steps do we actually need? So here, I'm going to throw out some numbers, and as I'm calling them out, you see what you think is perhaps the best number that we stri strive for as far as a number of steps per day. <clears throat> is it those 10,000? Is it 4,000? Is it... 2,000? Is it 5,000? What is the best number that we need to be looking for when we are taking those steps every day? Well, Adam and Eve uh, walked and they gardened. They had that simple plan. And implementing a regular program for exercise 
it, it really includes about 30 minutes, three or four times a week. Wow, that doesn't sound like too hard. Do you ever find yourself with days going by and you think, I really didn't get my heart rate up and I really didn't move for 30 minutes. And you know, that can be broken up into little bitty segments where you can even stand in place and run as fast as you can and get the heart rate up and just build that, start building up that heart muscle just a little bit at a time each day. Well, getting steps and, get, and getting the heart rate up those two things are our goal. Now, for a long time, we have been told that we need to take 10,000 steps a day. And for many, that is true. They probably do need to get that. But here is what a study uh, has said that may be a little bit different. Um, a study done in 2019 said that women in their 70s who managed as few as 4,400 steps a day reduced their premature death by about 40% compared to women who completed 2,700 or fewer steps per day. Now, let's look at those numbers again, 4,400 steps help them reduce their risk of premature death. 2,700 was a little low. Well, the risk for early death continued to drop among the women who walked more than 5,000 steps a day. But the benefits plateaued at about 7,500 daily steps. In other words, older women who completed fewer than half of the 10,000 daily steps tended to live substantially longer than those who covered less ground. So isn't that interesting and perhaps helpful and refreshing? And so, you know, when I got my Apple Watch to keep up with all my movement, uh, I had it set on 10,000 steps a day. And it was really hard for me. Sometimes I was able to do it. I was able to do it even during the pandemic. I walked around my house and I would get 10,000 steps a day. And so I consistently try to get that. But now I see that that is not quite necessary. Of course, I'm not going to stop walking if I reach 5,000 steps. I'm going to still keep moving and keep my body going, and I hope that you will too. So let's walk on. Um, so you might need to consider a new exercise plan for yourself. What do you need to do next to get your body moving like Adam and Eve did? Well, here's the third thing that they did. They rested. An estimated 60 million Americans have trouble sleeping. Anybody out there feel that? Today, because of the artificial lights we have and the TV and internet and the caffeine craze, people are sleeping about one hour less than their great-grandparents did. Our body needs rest. It needs to reset and it needs to regenerate at night in order to heal itself before the proceeding day. See, that's the way God created us in our fearfully and wonderfully made body. So still, the science still tells us that adults need seven to nine hours of sleep. And in addition to that, we still need to get rest. We need a Sabbath day of rest. Well, sleep then. How much sleep are you getting? 
if we need seven hours at least, what are you doing? So do you need a plan to figure out the best way for you to get some good sleep? Well, our world is filled with opportunities for us to abuse our bodies. Many of those typically fast foods are quite limited in the, the important vitamins we need and the minerals, and instead they're filled with a lot of fats and sugar and chemicals that are going to destroy our good health. And then a high-stress lifestyle require people to push harder and to work longer hours to accomplish more and more. And then some of us have limitations on our bodies. And so we are having a hard time preserving our good health. And then there's also, to put into the equation, genetics or the environmental factors that are beyond our control. Well, the Bible supports that as well. Remember the story of the man born blind? And what the scripture tells us, he, had, he was blind and he suffered from that disease through no fault of his own. See, it's biblical also that we might be facing conditions out of our control, but we do have things that we can control, and that's what we want to talk about and focus on. Some health weaknesses may not be caused, though, by a lack of self-discipline or a failure to practice all the ways that we know we should be practicing in order to honor our good health. Um, and so what we do want to focus on is what we can control. God expects us to do everything that's in our power to help help move our health in a positive direction. So that is the, the part of our physical body that we want to focus on. How are we resting? How are we eating? And how are we moving? Now, in addition to that, God gave us five senses. He gave us through our eyes the ability to see. He gave us through our nose the ability to smell. He gave us through our fingers the ability to touch. He gave us through our tongue the ability to taste and our ears the ability to hear. Now, those were intricately designed so that each of those organs could transmit information to our brain. And whether it's through the actual sense or through the sense organ. Our senses and that, that body part connected to it help us to understand and notice what's happening all around us. So he gave us these senses in order to use them for God's glory and for our good just as he gave us the ability to move and eat and rest well in order to honor our body and to glorify God. So let's look at the first one, sight, through our eyes. God gifted us with word pictures in creation, didn't he? Look at Genesis 2 verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasing to the eye. Do I look around and praise God for his beautiful creation? You know, that's giving God the glory for it, isn't it? Do I praise him for the gift of sight so that I can read and so I can see life all around me? Matthew 6.22 tells us this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. That is a reference to our spiritual sight. How are we seeing life around us? Are we seeing it through a lens of a dark cloud or through the hope of sunlight? 
And then we might ask, do I have blind spots in my vision? In other words, am I not seeing the truth about who I am because of the habits I'm choosing to ignore and I can't see what others see in me? We want to use our sight for good and for God's glory because that means we're allowing our spirit to be connected to God's spirit who will guide us. Our second sense is smell through our nose. What are some of your favorite things to smell? Are those sweet-smelling flowers and, and the beautiful flora and fauna around us or candles or gentle rain? You know, I had uh, some sinus surgery a few years ago, and I lost my ability to smell consistently. I smell things every now and then. Sometimes I have really distorted sense of smell. So I have a new appreciation for this beautiful sense that God gave gave us. You know, it's hard to imagine God smelling things, but here's what we read in Genesis 8 verse 11. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of the burnt offering that Noah sacrificed, and it moved him to promise never to curse the ground again. It leads us to ask this question. Does my worship cause the same effect on God? Is my worship a pleasing aroma to God? If so, that indicates my spirit is leading me and it's connected to God's Holy Spirit. Paul tells the Corinthians that they are the fragrance, the aroma the sweet-smelling scent of Jesus. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15. Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way of salvation. Wow, others can recognize our fragrance, can't they? They can tell if we have a sweet aroma or if we're stinking up the place by what we do with our sense of smell and what is emitting from our body. Uh, is it a, a bitter, bitter note that we are sending into the world or a soft, beautiful fragrance of Christ? Our extravagant love and care for others will leave a lingering sweet aroma. That's what we want as followers of Christ. Let's let our aroma be for God's glory and our good. Let's look at the next sense, and it is hearing from the ears. Here's how important sound was for God. God sent his Holy Spirit on Pentecost with an audible sound of a violent wind. Acts 2 verse 2 tells us suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. Through the use of sound, God brought many people to faith, 3,000 in that one day. Well, what are we hearing with our ears? Are we hearing God's beautiful words? Are we hearing words of worship? Are we hearing words uh, that are found in Praise, praise music? Are we hearing the beauty of nature through the birds singing and a child's laughter and, and through kind words? Or are we choosing to hear gossip and unkind words and hate-filled rhetoric and foul language? 
If that's what we're doing, our spirit is not leading us. We're allowing our body, our sense of hearing to lead us in the wrong direction. Are we then listening to God's voice or do we need to tune in just a little bit better? Hebrews 3 verse 15 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion are we here using our hearing for our good and for God's glory? Let's look at the next sense, it's taste, and that is through the tongue. God gave us the ability to enjoy what we eat through this gift because of our taste. And there are so many wonderful foods and great flavors that we can thank God for. Look at what Ecclesiastes 3 verse 13 says that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. See, that's the beauty of working hard and, and digging in the gardens and getting those beautiful fruits and vegetables so that we can eat and drink and find satisfaction in the hard work that we did. And then it says, this is the gift of God. Well, let me ask you about your taste buds. What tastes good to you? Is it sweet or is it salty? Give me both. There is nothing better for me than an almond covered in dark chocolate and sprinkled with sea salt. Oh my goodness, my mouth is watering thinking about it. Well, salt gives food its flavor and God thinks that we are to be salty. Matthew 5 verse 13 says it this way. And it says... When the tongue, with the tongue, we praise our Lord, our Father, or with it, we curse human beings. We have been made in God's likeness, and we don't want to be cursing human beings. Out of the same mouth, out of the same mouth, come both praise and cursing. And then it says, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? I love that humor that we read about uh, contrasts like that. Of course, fig trees can't bear olives. And then he goes on to say, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. No, we have to use our salt for good, don't we? To be salt in the earth. So what are you producing with your tongue? Life or death? Are you praising Jesus or cursing others with your tongue? With the help of Satan, here's what happens. The tongue begins to spread evil through people's lives like this destructive fire that burns out of control. And the more they speak evil, the more their behavior becomes evil. A tongue out of alignment with the Spirit can do great harm. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the spring, same spring? Of course it cannot. And in that same way, we can decide to speak life, speak blessings to others, and we can praise Jesus with our tongue. Let's decide to taste more of God and to be a good taste in the world. And then our next sense is the sense of touch, and we can touch through our hands. A gentle hug or a friendly pat is a beautiful expression of love. God used 
this sense of touching to heal people. And so let's see what is the power of touch. Let's look at it for, through a lifespan. First of all, newborns are given nurturing touch. And when they do, they grow faster and have improved mental and motor skill development than those children who do not receive that gentle touch. Children raised with more physical interaction tend to be less aggressive and violent. And couples who, who cuddle have been shown to have lower stress levels and blood pressure and improved immune function. We had a um, doctor who uh, a doctor that came and coached some parents, I mean some families and some couples, and he said every couple needs huddle time and cuddle time. And I think it goes to this point. It lowers the friction, doesn't it? And elderly people who receive the soothing, affirming experience of touch have been shown to better handle the process of aging and passing with dignity. Touch is one of the five love languages. That's how important this is. Are you using your touch to express love and compassion? So those are the five senses and the body parts that go along with them. And we get to choose whether or not we are going to be doing the, using those for good or not and for God's glory or not. Now let's look at some biblical examples so we can see characters in the Bible who use their senses in various ways. Well, the first actions of humans on earth involve the five senses. God had told Adam and Eve to use those senses to enjoy the beauty of creation. You know, he wanted them to look at it. <clears throat> he wanted them to hear the beautiful sounds. He wanted them to, to taste the food that came out of the ground and to smell the flora and the fauna and to, to touch the leaves and to touch the animals and the flowers. He wanted them to enjoy their senses for their good and for God's glory. And he said, enjoy everything that I've given you. But he set one boundary. He said, stay away from this one spot. This tree, he pointed out, this tree is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, stay away from that, but otherwise enjoy the beauty and the bounty and use this beautiful body that I have given you for good. And then this happened. We read in Genesis 3, verses 6 and 7, Satan tempted Eve. The woman stared at the fruit. It looked beautiful and tasty. She wanted the wisdom that it would give her, and she ate some of the fruit. Her husband was there with her, so she gave some to him, and he ate it too. At once, they saw what they had done, and they realized they were naked. Then they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So we read Eve used her eyes to stare at the fruit on that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She was tempted by the beauty she saw and she just knew it was going to satisfy her smell, uh, her smell, her sense of taste. She tasted the fruit and it must have been so good that she wanted to share it with her husband. Immediately though, they recognized that they had sinned against God and that what they did was not for their permanent good and not for God's glory. 
But God did not kill them at the time. They did not lose their life at the time. He made a path forward with them. He pointed out their wrongdoing, and while I'm sure they recognized their wrongdoing, there were still consequences. Their relationship with God was affected. They had to move away. Their lives were negatively affected by their bad choices. There were consequences to their bad choices for letting their bodies and their stubborn will get ahead of their spirit. It's the same way with us. You know, when we step away from God's plan and his purpose for all of the things that we see and hear and say and touch and taste, then we too suffer the consequences. Our first step is to acknowledge that we have done wrong. And when we do, and we do the things that are not God approved, we will still suffer the consequences. However, God is going to give us a way forward. He wants us to live more fervently for him. Just as God forgave Adam and Eve, he moved forward with them in a new relationship and it had more boundaries and consequences. When we choose to use our senses for our worldly desires instead of God's, there are consequences. That's why it's so important not to make those carnal, worldly decisions in the first place. Rest assured, though, that when we do make bad choices and then confess to God and ask forgiveness and then turn away from those bad choices, committed not to doing those again, God will forgive us. Next, if we have used one of our bodily senses to hurt others, we too ask them to forgive us. Christians are called to both ask for forgiveness and extend forgiveness. However, the nature of that relationship may still change. Sometimes it gets strengthened through this process. And other times the relationship suffers and healthy boundaries have to be put in place. This is a biblical concept that was started with Adam and Eve and God. We follow that same pattern as Adam and Eve. Now let's see how Christ set a better example of using his senses. After Jesus died and was resurrected, Jesus began to appear to a smattering of his followers. Each one of those failed to recognize him with their earthly eyes until he revealed himself in a way that cast away all of their doubt. See, Jesus met them where they were and acknowledged the need in the senses where they were most concerned. He spoke to their individual concerns. Then it was up to the individual to respond to him. Let's look at the response of each of those who went to the tomb. Mary Magdalene was crying audibly outside the tomb when Jesus appeared to her and she thought he was a gardener. And then she heard him say her name, Mary. She heard him and she could see him in new ways and believed. The disciples, fearing the Jews, had locked themselves in a house and when Jesus appeared, he calmed their fears and he stood in the midst of them and he said to them, peace be unto you. But it wasn't until he showed them his nail pierced hands and side that they rejoiced. See, they needed to see and then they believed.
well, Thomas needed something different. He needed something more. It was not until he actually put his finger in the nail holes that he was able to say, my master, my God. See, he touched and believed. Simon Peter needed even more. After an unsuccessful night of fishing, Peter and his disciple friends fell asleep, very disappointed. And the next morning, Jesus appeared on the shore unrecognized. He told them to throw away the net on the other side of the boat. And all of a sudden, there were so many fish that they could not pull them in. After experiencing this miracle, Peter acknowledged Jesus. He had seen him. He had heard him. He had touched him. And now it was an experience that he had with Jesus that caused him to believe Aren't their experiences much like ours? Some of us are like Mary Magdalene, and we need that tender voice to comfort us in our sorrow, and we need to hear Jesus. Jesus whispers our name, and, and he says, as, as we read in John 14, verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And some of us are like those disciples who are gripped with fear, fear of the unknown and fear of what others will say about us, and maybe we're locked in emotionally. We need to see Jesus working in our lives. We need Jesus to say what we read in John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And some of us are like Thomas, and we doubt, and we become very skeptical, and we hear all the good things that God is doing for others, but we don't believe it can really happen to us. We need to touch God. We need for God to move mountains in order for us to believe. And here's what Jesus said, and we read in Mark 11, verse 23, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. And then some of us are more like Simon Peter, and we can see and hear and touch and feel and smell and all of that. We might have a history of highs and lows in our relationship with Christ, and we may praise him one minute and we may deny him a next at a next time. And maybe we're just in that rut like the disciples and our net keeps coming up empty. We really need to experience Jesus in a mighty way. And for those of us who are in the Peter camp, it, we read in Mark 2 verse 7, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but center, sinners. Come one and come all. Jesus meets us where we are, whether we need to hear him, whether we need to see him, to touch him, or to experience Jesus. He's there for us, and he promises to be near. He will reveal himself to us. The question is, are we going to recognize that in whatever way God chooses to make himself known to us? Our bodies, which are to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, are really very special, fearfully and wonderfully made. Anything that contains God's presence is deemed holy. The body that receives the gift of the Holy Spirit is special, and it needs to reflect 
God's beautiful nature. As we close this session, what is your response to this verse? It's in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17. You realize, don't you, that you are the temple of God and God himself is present in you? No one will get by with vandalizing God's temple. You can be sure of that. God's temple is sacred, and you, remember, are the temple. Heavenly Father, thank you for creating us so fearfully and so wonderfully, so intricately. Thank you for knitting all parts of us in our mother's wombs. Thank you now that we can live and give you praise and glory and that all things will work together for good. As long as we stay in full relationship with you, we ask that you would guide us now as we choose how to see and feel and touch and hear and know you. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much, and I look forward to seeing you next week.